Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. I trust you all had a great Christmas. Well, we are continuing with our study on communication using Dr. H. Norman Wright's book, Communication, Key to Your Marriage. We closed last week's broadcast looking at some possible answers to the question, just what is marriage anyway? Let me list them again. Marriage is a gift. Marriage is an opportunity to learn how to love. Marriage is a journey in which we as travelers face many choices and are responsible for those choices. Marriage is built upon a commitment to communicate. We have to learn to speak our partner's language. Marriage is often influenced more than we realize by unresolved issues from our past. Marriage is a call to servanthood. Marriage is a call to friendship. Marriage is a call to suffering. Marriage is a refining process. It is an opportunity to be refined by God into the people He wants us to be. Marriage is not an event, but a way of life. Marriage involves intimacy in all areas. This intimacy must reach into the spiritual, the intellectual, the social, the emotional, and the physical. Dr. Wright highlights four of these components. Marriage as a gift. Marriage as a call to servanthood. Marriage as an intimate relationship and marriage as a refining process. As we look at each of these four components, reflect on your own marriage relationship. What you believe about marriage and what you expect out of your marriage have a direct effect on communication between you and your spouse. Well, now let's look at marriage as a gift. What do you think of the statement that you may be the finest gift that your spouse has ever received and that your spouse may be the finest gift you have ever received. You are a gift to your spouse. When you consider the fact that you are a gift, how might you live so that your spouse feels that he or she has been given a special gift? How can you, as a gift, be used in the life of your spouse to lift his or her spirits and outlook on life? On the receiving end of the gift... How do you react when you receive a special gift that brings you delight? Think of your childhood or earlier years. Can you remember the most exciting or special gift you ever received? Can you remember your thoughts and feelings as you received that gift? How did you treat that gift? Did you take special care of it and protect it from harm? Perhaps you gave the gift a special place of prominence and were carefully possessive of it. If your spouse is a special gift to you, how do you treat this precious gift? Are you careful to give your spouse the finest care, attention, protection, and a place of prominence in your life? Does your partner feel as though he or she really is a gift to you? Well, reflect on this. We give a gift as an expression of our love and as an act of grace. We do not give it 
based on whether the recipient deserves it or not. Dr. Wright asks us four questions. Number one, what is the best tangible gift your spouse has ever given you? Number two, what is the best intangible gift your spouse has ever given you? Number three, what is the gift you would like to give to your spouse? Number four, what would your spouse appreciate? Now let's look at marriage as servanthood. Now there's a concept that's not very popular or high on the list of priorities for most marriages. Let's face it, we would much rather be served than serve. Philippians 2, 1-8 gives us a guideline for Christian marriage. I'm reading now from Eugene Peterson's The Message Bible. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came... He set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus voluntarily submitted to becoming a bondservant. He looked out for our interests rather than his own. In the same way, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.21 to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Dr. Wright emphasizes this point. We must never demand that our partner be our servant or live up to the clear teachings of Scripture. If we feel that we have to demand it or even mention it, according to Dr. Wright, then we have become more concerned with meeting our own needs than being a servant. If a man has to demand that his wife view him as the head of the family, then, to put it bluntly, he has lost the headship. Verses 22 through 25 of Ephesians 5 say that for a man to be the head He must love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This means sacrificial love, servanthood. To put it simply, a servant's role is to make sure that the other person's needs are met. In a husband-wife relationship, being a servant is an act of love, a gift to the other person. It's not something to be demanded. It's an act of strength and not of weakness. It is a positive action chosen to show your love to each other. Hence, the Apostle Paul also said in Ephesians 
Be subject to one another, not limiting the role of servanthood to the wife. Dr. Wright also says that a servant may also be called an enabler. Here it has nothing to do with dysfunction. It is a positive term. The word enable means to make better. As an enabler, we are to make life easier for our spouse instead of placing restrictive demands upon him or her. An enabler does not make more work for the partner, nor does the enabler hinder the other from becoming all he or she was designed to become. He continues, A servant is also one who edifies or builds up the other person. The English word edify is derived from the Latin word aedes, meaning hearth or fireplace. The hearth was the center of activity in ancient times. It was the only place of warmth and light in the home and the place where the daily bread was prepared. It was also the place where people were drawn together. The concept of edifying is often used in the New Testament to refer to building up another person. To edify, then, means to cheer on another person in life. You are a one-person rooting section for your spouse. Your encouragement can increase your spouse's feelings of self-worth, enhancing his or her capacity to love and to give love in return. Now Dr. Wright asks us three questions. Number one, give two examples of how your partner believes you respond as a servant. Number two, how does your partner edify you? And number three, how would your partner like you to edify him or her? If you are unsure, why not ask them? Well, now let's look at marriage as an intimate relationship. Marriage is a way of life, a celebration of life. A wedding ends, but a marriage progresses until the death of one of the partners. The conclusion of the wedding marks the beginning of a marriage relationship which is a call to intimacy. Intimacy is shared identity, a we relationship. Its opposite is a marriage in which the individuals could be called married singles, each partner going his own way. In shared intimacy, there must be a level of honesty that makes each partner vulnerable to the other. Intimacy is a multi-stringed musical instrument. We hear a great deal today about physical intimacy, often referring to nothing more than the physical act of two bodies copulating. However, the basis for true physical intimacy actually results from emotional intimacy. Physical intimacy involves the marriage of emotions as well as bodies. Emotional intimacy may elude many couples because one or both partners make no conscious effort to develop intimacy by lowering barriers and walls. In his book, How Do You Say I Love You?, Judge Swihart writes of the tragedy of a marriage lacking emotional intimacy. Some people are like medieval castles. Their high walls keep them safe from being hurt. They protect themselves emotionally by permitting no exchange of feelings with others. No one can enter. They are secure from attack. However, inspection of the occupant finds him or her lonely, 
rattling around his castle alone. The castle dweller is a self-made prisoner. Well, our time is gone for today. And as I close, I want to encourage you to attend one of the many Bible-believing and teaching churches here in the Treasure Valley. If you don't have a home church, we'd love to have you visit us. Our services at Cloverdale Church of God are at 9.30 and 11 a.m. And we're located at 3755 South Cloverdale Road. That's between Victory and Amity. Have a great New Year's celebration. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.